Hello, and welcome to this episode in our podcast sequence on the Power and the People unit. Today, we're going to talk about the American Revolution, or the American War of Independence, depending on your point of view. The basic setup here is that this is happening in the 1700s. At this point, England is starting to push itself out as an imperial power, and they have 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard of the continental North America. The colonies have grown significantly and grown quickly. In 1700, there were 250,000 colonists there. By 1775, there are 2.5 million. Well, these colonists are a mixture. Some of them are what you would call traditional colonists who've gone to make a new life for themselves. Some, like the original uh, Pilgrim Fathers, are there to flee religious persecution. But there are also some indentured servants. That is, people who've gone to America and been given passage to these new colonies in return for a term of servitude where they will work on farms or on plantations. At the end of that time, they are granted their freedom and a parcel of land and they become normal colonists. And there are also a large number of slaves brought in from East Africa and the Caribbean. So there's a large mixture of people. The issue is that some of them have been there for some considerable time. And by the time you reach the 1770s, they're starting to no longer think of themselves as British people living in America, but rather as Americans. And that's important, because when that mental shift happens, they stop thinking of the British government as their government, and start thinking of it as a government which is imposing itself on them. And there are a few little things which crop up which really exacerbate that feeling. The first one is the idea of British troops. This is the period of the Seven Years' War. There's a war between Britain and France. France is there in northern America. It's in what's today Canada, and also in the south in what's today Louisiana, named after King Louis the British send troops over there. But these troops require pay, they require equipment, and they require feeding. Therefore, in order to fund this, taxes are imposed on the colonists. And the colonists do not like the idea of being required to pay for troops to protect them. They believe it should come as part of simply being a colony. And some others of them do not regard the British troops as their army, they regard them as an occupying army sent by a different government. The whole issue of taxes is a major sticking point here. The problem is that the colonies in America are worth an absolute fortune. Huge amounts of money coming in here from the various crops, tobacco, cotton, that are being shipped back over to the mother country. The way to actually maximize that profit is to make sure that the colonists can only buy goods from the home country. So a variety of acts are passed, making it illegal to buy anything from anywhere else. So if you want Chantilly lace, you can't get it because it doesn't come from Britain. You can only buy goods from Britain, and that causes an increase in prices. Then there are various other taxes introduced and things like the stamp tax, which goes on all paper goods, letters and uh, 
paper, envelopes, you name it. This leads to a huge amount of resentment amongst the colonists, driven by the fact that they have no representation in Parliament. They have no MPs for these colonies. Massachusetts does not have a member of Parliament. Connecticut does not have a member of Parliament. And yet these taxes are being decided in the Houses of Parliament and imposed upon them. And this leads to the very famous slogan from the American Revolution, no taxation without representation. And this is the key thing here. We're talking about representation. The colonists believe that their interests are not being represented in Parliament and they are being treated as second-class citizens. And to be fair, they are not wrong. They do not have a voice in Parliament. They are not being listened to. Their concerns are not being addressed. This leads to a large amount of civil unrest. The colonists start arming themselves, and it even reaches the point where in 1773 they attack a ship in the Boston Harbour, which is bringing in tea, which had to be bought from Britain. And they board the ship and they throw the tea overboard. This is called the Boston Tea Party, and it's one of the first times that there's actually a violent, direct action by the colonists. The thinking behind independence, the thinking behind saying, actually, no, we are not British, we are American, starts to grow more and more prevalent. You get a book published in 1776, and that's called Common Sense, and that's by a man called Thomas Paine. And this lays out very clearly the case for American independence. It's incredibly popular. It sells over 500,000 copies. And this is in a time before widespread literacy. Half a million copies of the book sold is a phenomenal achievement. Thomas Paine himself will end up in France writing a book which will massively influence the course of the French Revolution. So all of this culminates with, in 1776, a Continental Congress where representatives from each of these 13 colonies gathers together and they declare that America is independent. They agree the text of a Declaration of Independence and they publish it. And this is no easy feat. This is treason. These men are literally taking their life in their hands. But the sentences they write are very, very important when you look at the development of power structures in politics. When you look at that shift in power from the king, from the government to the people. Because the words that they write are these, the very first sentence of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. There is that idea, equality. The same thing that John Ball was preaching in 1381, here given direct flesh, written down on an official document, all men are created equal. That they have certain inalienable rights, the idea that there are rights that people have which cannot be taken away from them, again, written down in black and white. And the idea that people should have life, liberty, and should be able to engage in the pursuit, that is the pastime, of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing for our purposes 
comes next. Because after it says that everybody has inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it then says, whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And that is truly revolutionary. That is the first time that anybody has written down and actually said that people can dismantle the government if the government is no longer serving the people. And that's their point, of course. The government of Britain is not serving the interests of these colonists in the 13 colonies. It is their right to alter or abolish it and establish their own form of government. The Declaration of Independence is treated as an act of treason by the British government and they send the army. There's a long and bloody conflict which follows which is easily a defeat for the British. It's quite embarrassing for an imperial power. There is some help given to the American rebels by the French and other parties but the point is that the British are defeated and they are driven out of America and they are driven out of America because the government that they were offering was unrepresentative and did not meet the needs of the people there. And that is why the American War of Independence, the American Revolution, matters when it comes to this idea of the transfer of power to the people in the United Kingdom. Because even though it happens in America, the shockwaves are felt around the world the significance of the American Revolution cannot be overstated. At the most basic level, it influences and inspires the French Revolution a few years later. Also, you have to think of the impact that it has on Britain itself. Britain loses these incredibly valuable, incredibly important colonies. It has to replace them. They have to find somewhere else to replace this lost revenue. And that shifts Britain's attention toward the East and towards India. And so it's not an exaggeration to say that Britain's deepening interests and engagement with India is a result of the American Revolution. One of the other things that was done with America is it was used as a dumping ground for convicts. It was used as a, a place that convicts could be transported to. Well, that's now gone. And so that becomes a use for Australia. The concept of transporting convicts to Australia, which is something that we'll be talking about later on, is a direct result of having lost the American colonies. The financial cost to Britain is huge. It's incredible. It's also worth pointing out that it makes the government of Britain quite leery about the idea of a revolution, especially when you add the French Revolution. It makes them very frightened and that is going to have an impact on how they react when we start talking about Peterloo and the People's Charter and Chartism. Finally, don't forget that possibly the biggest worldwide impact of the American Revolution is the creation of America itself. These 13 colonies over time will join together to form a United States of America. The USA is born out of this. And more intangibly, but possibly even more importantly, these ideas about democracy and freedom are given full expression for the first time. The text 
of the Declaration of Independence will go on to inspire people in a way that no document has since Magna Carta. So the key takeaways you need to have for the American Revolution, the American War of Independence. The idea that representation drives the dissatisfaction of the colonists. The text of the Declaration of Independence. And finally, the impact that it has across the world. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.